0: Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 78, the first 39 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, February the 8th, 2021. Two, sorry. <laughs> so we're continuing in faith-seeking understanding today. We're continuing in the prophecy of Isaiah, the 59th chapter, the first 15 verses. Um, we're over in 2 Timothy now. We finished up with the Galatians yesterday, and so we're over in 2 Timothy, the first 14 verses of chapter 1, and continuing in Mark's gospel in chapter 9, verses 42 to 50. So remember yesterday, what we had was the Lord Making his complaint against his people and explaining to them why their prayers weren't being answered and why he didn't quote hear them and it was because they were yes keeping the fast they were doing the things that they were supposed to do but they were doing it for wrong reasons they were doing it because they wanted more and more and more blessing they were not actually keeping these things in order that they could draw closer to him so in in today's lesson what we hear is, is that what they think is the Lord's not hearing them. But the beginning of this says, here's the real issue. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or His ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear. In other words, he's not the problem, you are. And that's one of the things that That separates Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, from every other world religion. You know, if you look at the creation stories of of pretty much every other religion, what you get is a chaotic environment, and it's an explanation of why there's chaos, and it's chaos because there are multiple gods who um, fight with one another. So basically, all that's happened in most religious um, creation stories is is that the the problem on earth is observed as, as wait wait a minute there's wow we've got all these horrible personality traits and, and that causes a lot of enmity between people and therefore the gods must be like us judeo-christian uh, story is very different it tells of a god who who had chaos and brought order it recognizes though that we live in chaos now It But it says it's not God's fault, unless you want to fault him for the creation of humankind. But it's not his fault, it's us. We are the problem, and therefore we, in the form of Jesus, God becoming man, are also the solution to the problem. And so here what he's saying is is that you think God doesn't hear or that he can't do something, and the reality is he won't do something because of you, because of your sins, and you won't repent of those. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Hands, fingers, lips, tongue. Uh, Everything. Here's your problem. It's you. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. Well, I used to work as an expert witness In the justice system um, in America, and and it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Too often, the system is just used to get a settlement. It's it's not to bring a legitimate lawsuit. It's to bring something in the hopes of getting gain from it, because they know there's there's at least a nuisance value to it that 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 I'll probably get something. And so, too often, that's exactly what happens. There's no good faith. You're. um, they rely on empty pleas, and they speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Like I said, I've seen it again and again in the work that I used to do, that, that there's, there's no good faith in, in so many instances. There's no good faith at all. A lawyer's taking it just because he, he or she can get something out of it at the end of the day. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats the eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. I mean, does this remind you of anything previously in Scripture? But he's talking here about his people. Previously, what you should remember is what he said of the days of Noah, that that he repented of making, uh, creating man, because every intention of man's heart was only evil all the time. And that's what this is describing. You know, it, it may not be overtly evil and wicked, but the fact that that it's completely egocentric to make something better of of me to have more money to have that da, 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 whatever it is that there's no actual justice done in the world because everything is for gain. He says their their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation and destruction are there in their highways, the way of peace they do not know, and there's no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. I mean, everything is awful. But it's interesting because what happens next is, is that this is what they have done. That's exactly the complaint that God's laying out. They are, through Isaiah, they have done these things. It's a horrible thing. It's a terrible place. It's a terrible people. But then what does he do? There's a change that happens here. Because it's gone from they, 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 to, therefore, justice is far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. So we're paying for the corporate sins of the community. So we are paying the price for the sin of the community. And therefore, this is what a good prophet is intended to do, is to identify with God's righteousness and his righteous project for his people but also to identify with the people to whom God's speaking. He's not elevated into a position where he's separate from the people. Justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor we are like dead men. So he's describing the actual situation on the ground that's caused by this abundance of sin. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart heart lying words so he, he, he is acknowledging sin and saying this is the you know i told you what, what the what the reason was and now I've shown you the result of those sins and now i'm confessing those sins to the lord justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth is stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And we talk a lot about justice in the world today, but what we're we're talking about sometimes is not justice at all. It's justice for some, justice to cre to um, make up for past wrongs, let's say. That's what We're dealing with in America today. And so then then there's justice denied for others. It depends on whether you're on the same side as me in the political spectrum or not, whether I care about justice. I only care about justice if it's somebody on my team. And that's too much of where we are right now in, in America today. I don't know about the rest of the world. I have no earthly idea, to be honest with you, because it just. It's not something that seems as prevalent other places, but, but that's exactly, we're so polarized that we don't care. You can, our team can do anything it wants to your team. And, and it's very bizarre, but it, it it's, we 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 turn a blind eye to justice so long as it doesn't affect our team. And, and it's, that's wickedness. That's wickedness. It's wickedness if our team is Christianity, but to not pursue justice for those who are not Christians, but it's also wickedness if, if it's political teams we're talking about. So in the gospel lesson, Jesus continues. Remember yesterday what he had said was about greatness in the kingdom. It had to do with receiving one of these little children, and then he receives him. And so the greatness has become a servant to all. And he looks, he's still got this child, and he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And you know, we live in that world too, right? I mean, we live in a world of pedophilia, and we live in a world of sex trafficking, and all these things. And and, and you know, recently we had this trial of Ghislaine Maxwell, who was uh, found guilty of track of sexual trafficking of children. And then the records were sealed. Well, it's impossible to traffic children to nobody. Why? are the people to whom these children were trafficked not being held accountable. We can only pray that ultimately—I mean, I know that ultimately you will be held accountable, but, but, we, but I'd really like to see justice done in this world, and justice would be to, to, to name those people, out those people, and punish those people. But, and, and that goes right along with what Jesus says here about teaching these little ones to sin. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And you know, I've reflected on this fairly recently. I reflected on the same passage and the same teaching. You know, Jesus will talk about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth being the sort of the lex talionis, the, the, the law of, of retribution. And, and what that meant was, the, the, the meaning of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was is that you didn't go beyond the harm that was caused to you. And that's, the, that's the, one of the great principles of, of Jewish justice— is, is that, that the punishment has to fit the crime. It can't exceed the crime. So you don't get to take, if you lost an eye, you don't get to take two eyes. And so the point of that was to make sure that justice had um, a, a measurability to it to determine whether it was justice or something more or something less. So Jesus takes that here, though, the principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and says, apply it to yourself. Be ruthless about the application of that lex talionis to you. So if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's, this, it's exactly that principle applied to our own sin, not to somebody else's sin against us, but to our sin. Because sin is an, is an offense against God, but it's also an offense against ourselves, those who are created in the image of God. And so Jesus here says, no, be ruthless about sin in your life. And so from that, we get the principle of be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? Um, Be careful, little ears, what you hear. So because we want to protect ourselves against sin and we want to protect ourselves against judgment. And so we have to be careful. We have to, to say, you know, hey, this is what causes it. This is what causes all of these things. I have to be careful. I have to protect my soul. And so he goes on to say, everyone will be salted with fire, and I believe that relates to Paul's uh, injunctions in Corinthians about taking care what, what materials you use to build on the foundation that is Christ, that all these things ultimately will pass through judgment, salted with fire, they'll pass through that judgment, and whatever's left is valuable. And so what will be left? He says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. It's not the same as being salty, by the way. What, what he's saying is, is that, that we need to preserve that which we've been given. We need to preserve the salt that is in us. We are salt and light, and, and we, we need to continue to be salt and light. But we can't do that if we ourselves fall into sin if we don't judge the sin in ourselves in the same way and with the same measure that we judge the sin in others. And that's how Isaiah sees it. This has happened to us because of our sin. He didn't separate himself and say your sin. And that's part of the problem in America today is is that everybody wants to point at the other guy and the other team and point out their sin without ever recognizing sin is a common human problem and its sin must be dealt with because there's a belief in the righteousness and the rightness of a cause. Well, it's not worth it is exactly what Jesus says. Be ruthless with sin in your life. In the epistle today, Paul's greeting Timothy and Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's typical beginning of, of any Pauline epistle. Who am I? Who am I to write this? <laughs> to whom is it written? And then the blessing of grace, mercy, and peace. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So he's aligning himself with his ancestors who would have been Jews. He's aligning himself with them and says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. So Paul is is aligning himself with with those who have kept faith with God down the generations and down the, the years. He said, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. The tears would have been on Paul's departing from Ephesus. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. So Paul says he's aligning himself with his ancestors, ancestors, and Timothy is aligned with the faith of his ancestors, whom he names here. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so Paul's saying that he imparted a gift to Timothy, the gift of God, which is the gift of faith. And he's saying, fan that into flame. And that's exactly what Jesus had said down in our gospel lesson. But don't lose salt. Have salt in yourselves. Preserve the preservative. It takes an act to do that. He said, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Man, if we've needed anything in the world in the last two years, it's been this spirit fear not a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control you know that if we could have had those things then the world would be a different place today but but no we've given in to this spirit of fear in so many ways and in doing so we have just ditched our freedoms because of fear but fear can only be effective so long as there's not accurate information or so long as you don't avail yourself of getting that accurate information. He said, therefore, don't be ashamed because God gave you a, a, a spirit of power and love and self-control. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Don't let my situation or Jesus's crucifixion cause you to have any shame at all. These things he, he, he's saying are to be expected. In fact, he says, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So expect to suffer for the gospel, step into it boldly and without fear. Share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, not because of anything we had done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In other words, it goes back to, I knew you in your mother's womb before I called you. And so he's always known calling would be on us and he, this was predestined from before the world began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior christ jesus who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which i was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher which is why i suffer as i do the it's the message of jesus right if the world hates me They're going to hate you, too. They're not going to applaud you who preach me because they hated me. They still hate me. You're my representatives. They'll hate you. You will suffer for the preaching of the gospel. Just because we've had free reign in America for 200-plus years doesn't mean we're not going to suffer for the proclamation of the gospel, And and suffering has degrees of intensity to it, right? I mean, you might get kicked off uh, YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or whatever for proclaiming the gospel and being clear about things that the world wants us to be unclear about, like how many genders there are and all these other things. But but when we stand firm for truth and proclaim that Jesus is the only way to the Father, we're going to expect to suffer some persecution. Hardly any of us will suffer physical persecution, so get over it. Don't be afraid. He said, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, which is exactly what Jesus said, that he, everything the Father gave him will come. He had faith that God was able to do this, and that's exactly how the, the passage from Isaiah begins, right? With, with them believing... That God's not able to do something. They don't understand it. It's their sins that keep these things from actually happening. you got to deal with that. And Paul says, look, I, hey, I'm not ashamed cause I, I, about any of this stuff. Because I know that ultimately it rests on the sovereignty of God. So I, I'm just doing what I'm given to do so that I can participate in the coming of the kingdom. But I'm doing so with full confidence, of two things. One is that I'll be persecuted for that, and two is that God's able to do everything that he's called. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, which is exactly what Jesus is saying, is have salt in yourselves. Paul gives the flesh to that, but by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I'm guarding it from an enemy. I'm guarding it from somebody who wants to take it away from me. And that begins with, you haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so using those gifts of the Spirit, that's how you guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. But it first requires you to know that you're guarding it from an enemy who wants to steal it.